Welcome to Madison Labor Radio. Labor Radio is dedicated to bringing news, information, and cultural events focused on working people and the labor movement to the Madison area and surrounding communities. I'm Bert Zipperer, a member of Madison Teachers Incorporated Retirees. Welcome to our birthday pledge drive, too. Your support helps make Labor Radio and all the great programming on WORT possible. Thank you. I am Frida Ballard, member of Workers' Justice Wisconsin. Today we learn about a lawsuit by unions against Act 10, talk about the start of Bargaining and Meritor, explore the new organizing campaign by UAW, celebrate our birthday, and much more. And if you like what you hear, please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of WORT and Labor Radio. Anyone know how to become a sustaining supporter? Well, you call WORT at 608-256-2001, and one of our uh, pledge donors, uh, uh, phone answerers, will take your pledge. Um, You may ask yourself, why are we pledging again? Well, we didn't meet our goal. So we have a number of projects that we're going to have in 2024, and we really need your help to do that. Also, it's WRT's well, birthday boost. Oh, it's, it's the a, birthday it's boost. It's the That's birthday boost. We're 48 years old here. You know, we, we haven't reached senility yet. 48 is a great year. 256-2001 is a great number to call. And you're calling to help support our Summer Journalism Collaborative. You're helping to call supporting our outside building maintenance, which is needed. You know, you're 48. You've got to do something every once in a while. And you're calling because you like what you hear. And I, I wanted to say, I was talking to our group earlier today, that as far as Labor Radio is concerned, we have a podcast initiative. We have a letter, uh, a newsletter that goes out each week to supporters and friends. We have now, we're giving our stories to other journalist operations here in the Madison area and Dane County. So more and more people are hearing the stories that are of interest to you which means that uh, the, the, the profile of our movement is increasing. So 256-2001, to keep us on this trajectory of growth and to fix up what we need so this place doesn't fall apart. And thank you to all of you who have donated in the past and hopefully will donate in the future, including uh, today. Yes, we had one pledge already from Keith Stefan. Thank you, Keith Stefan. Ding! Where's the bell? Where's the bell? What yeah, happened another here? studio, I'm sure. Oh, okay. Well, we anyway. bother to bring it And we have more. a number of thank you gifts that you can get if you go online. Um, I heard it ring, so somebody in the other Somebody else went, rang hey. it? Okay, Ding. all right. I can hear the phone ringing now. There we go. All right, well, we're going to go back to the news then. In breaking news... Seven public sector unions jointly filed a lawsuit on Thursday challenging Act 10 as a violation of the Wisconsin state constitution. Labor Radio spoke to several plaintiffs in the lawsuit from one of those unions. My name is Madeline Toff, and I'm a co-president of the Teaching Assistance Association, the grad worker union at UW-Madison. I'm Nina, the other co-president of the TAA, or AFT Local 3220. Hi, I'm Kim Kohlhaas, currently serving as president for AFT Wisconsin. What just happened yesterday? 
Yesterday, a lawsuit was filed on behalf of the TAA and several other unions in Wisconsin aiming to overturn Act 10. How does Act 10 impact you? Act 10 restricts our right to collective bargaining as grad student workers, so we can't bargain around all workplace issues. For example, right now we have a campaign in our union regarding paid leave. Graduate student workers, staff, and faculty at UW-Madison don't have the right to take paid time off. So if they want to have a baby and spend time with their children and take time off, they are forced to take unpaid leave in many cases. Or in graduate student workers, we often see that they have to sacrifice their academic program. What is not constitutional about this law? We believe that Act 10 is in violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the Wisconsin Constitution. And that's because Act 10 divides employees into two categories, public safety employees and general employees. Public safety employees include firefighters, law enforcement, workers, and those folks in that category have different rights than we do as general employees. The core of this lawsuit is arguing that we should all have the same rights. We should all have these rights to collectively bargain, to negotiate over wages, benefits, working conditions. Why this lawsuit now? To respond to why now, what we have been saying is why not now? This is a really unfair law. We're in a really good position, so we want to challenge this and win back these rights. Robin Voss and some other Republicans say that Act 10 was a great bill that saved our state billions of dollars. What's your response to that? They also said that this bill was passed because there was going to be no financial impact to it. They can't say it both ways. It has had a massive impact in the work sites. We've seen it over the past 10 years and it continues to get worse. You don't have a teacher shortage when you have quality working conditions and quality learning conditions. You don't have people who have to quit their job because they need to take care of their families at a state agency because they don't have paid time off. There's a lot of things that are negatively impacted because of the restrictions that this law has. What do you want the public to know? I think everyone deserves collective bargaining rights in the workplace. And this lawsuit is making a big step toward that. I think as this lawsuit evolves, it's really important to hear what is happening in the worksite and not get caught up in the rhetoric of this being a repeat of what happened back in 2011. This is really about what is happening now in our worksites and what we believe is the solution to having stronger and healthier worksites moving forward. When workers are involved in how things are done, that's when you see a successful system statewide that really benefits the community as a whole. What are the next steps? The case was filed in court and the next steps will be an opportunity for the state to reply as to how they would like to proceed with it. And then we have an opportunity to respond to that. We're really excited to be able to work with public workers all across the state. The seven plaintiffs and unions that are part of this lawsuit is a small snapshot of what is happening in our work sites. That was Madeline Toff, Nina Den, and Kim Kolhaas. This is Janine Ramsey reporting for Madison Labor Radio. Here's an update from Labor Radio's Keith Steffen on carrier hours and other issues this season. In 1986, an arbitrator ruled that for city letter carriers, the contractually mandated 12 hours per day and 60 hours per week work limits are absolutes. 
A full-time employee could neither volunteer nor be required to work beyond those limits, with the exception of December. Carriers were sent home once they reached those limits. Even if it was in the middle of the day on Friday and they had to be paid for a full eight-hour day, they were not allowed to actually work more than 60 hours. In about 2013, local management began to require carriers to work longer than those limits due to staffing shortages. Grievances filed by the National Association of Letter Carriers Local Branch 507 resulted in carriers being paid first a 100% penalty for over 12 hours work per day or 60 hours per week. Then the penalty escalated to 150% on top of the double time they were already being paid after 10 hours of work in a day. When the Postal Service started delivering Amazon and other packages on Sundays, management found the opportunity to work carriers even longer hours. The record locally was 91 and a half hours in a single week and 18 and a half hours in one day. In spite of the penalty pay, many carriers found the long hours to be exhausting and harmful to their health and family life. Resignations became routine, a phenomenon that was rarely seen back in the 20th century. The short staffing was further aggravated by the increasing attrition. Management continued to violate the limits in defiance of repeated arbitration decisions that included orders to cease and desist breaking their contractual obligations. The union filed a grievance that management was failing in its duty to staff sufficiently to deliver the workload. That grievance failed. The local branch 507 decided to try a new strategy and follow the example of some sister locals in Minnesota. They sought a remedy known as the right to refuse. This sequence of grievances involved hundreds of hours of steward preparation over several years and hundreds of pages of documentation. But this fall, the union finally won an effective resolution. City carriers in the Madison installation and the surrounding area are able to bring mail back to their station when they reach the stipulated time limits and clock out without fear of discipline. The settlement will not apply during December when mail volumes peak and the contractual maximums are suspended. Management has still not hired and retained enough new carriers to fulfill delivery needs. As a result, carrier compliance with the contract means that management sometimes suspends delivery on uncovered routes for one or more days. Carriers may be delivering well into hours of darkness on unfamiliar routes. Customers can help by leaving porch and yard lights on until they are sure that their mail has been delivered. Also, keep stairs, sidewalks, and porches free of tools, decorations, toys, pets, snow and ice that may present tripping and slipping hazards. I'm Keith Steffen reporting for Labor Radio. A leader of the Amazon Labor Union at its Staten Island, New York warehouse was fired on Wednesday. Greg Gaboski talked to a worker organizer there about the firing and about working in an Amazon warehouse during the holiday season. On Wednesday, Connor Spence, one of the founders of the Amazon Labor Union, was fired by Amazon while engaging in union act, according to an ALU worker. Spence was employed at the 8,000-worker Amazon warehouse on Staten Island in New York City, JFK 8, which in April 2022 became the first, and to this date only, NLRB-certified union at Amazon, the second-largest employer in the United States. Since the election, Amazon has refused to negotiate a contract with the union. Labor Radio spoke yesterday to Justine Medina, a worker at JFK 8 and an ALU organizer who was also part of a reform caucus there. She gave some background to Spence's firing. Yeah, um, he was just, so he was just fired yesterday. Connor Spence, he is one of the co-founders 
of Amazon Labor Union. He has been working at Amazon since 2017, and then he started at the JFK 8 warehouse when it opened up. And he was one of the workers that took on the initiative to, along with Chris Smalls, along with many other workers, like helped build the union. And he's been one of the main leaders. He's been one of the main people on the ground working to organize walkouts, help organize successful ULP fights, help get people their jobs back, help people keep their jobs. Medina describes the pretext she understands was used by Amazon in firing Spence. He was fired for violating a supposed off-duty policy where you're not supposed to be in the building when you're not on shift. But this is a policy that was put in place directly in response to union organizing and has only ever been enforced in this case. So the NLRB has actually ruled in a previous like massive settlement with Amazon that this policy is illegal. And they've ruled it multiple times since then and similar rulings with other corporations as well. You know that workers have a basic right to be on property and talk with their coworkers. Medina sees the firing as clearly illegal and part of a larger corporate strategy. We know they <laughs> broke the law and we feel confident that, you know, the NLRB will find in Connor's favor and he'll get his job back. And we've seen some of this right with the Starbucks cases like the you know, Starbucks workers getting their jobs back or being retaliated against. But unfortunately, it just takes time, right? And now Connor's out of a job, right? He has to find another job. And he's going to keep organizing with ALU, but he still has to find a way to pay rent, right? And this is what companies are doing all over the country right now, you know, firing workers. And then they, I mean, they can become homeless or even worse things can happen when you get fired. Medina, a member of the Communist Party USA, was recruited by the fledgling ALU as assault, an unannounced union organizer hired through the normal company hiring process, and was on the ALU's pre-recognition organizing committee. She described the conditions for herself and other workers at JFK 8 during the current holiday season. Currently, I work part-time in a department called AFE 2, but I work as a packer. So I'm like pack up items and put them on the assembly line close to when they go out the door. Right now, it is peak season. People that are working full-time, which is most workers, most of the 8,000 workers at that warehouse are full-time. And that means that they're required to have forced overtime. They have mandatory extra time every day of their shift. When you work full-time, you work four and a half hour days, including the lunch time. During MET, you get an hour tacked onto that and a whole extra day. So you suddenly are required required to work 55 hours a week. No choice. You have to work that or you could lose your job if you don't have enough time. And they only give you about 56 hours in New York PTO a year. Despite the continuing pressure from Amazon, Medina says the change in workers' attitudes that comes with a successful organizing effort is apparent. All that being said, since the union has started organizing, since I started organizing with the union, I, I definitely have noticed, well, one, a, a, a rise in worker expectations, like a rise in what I, what I see as class consciousness, workers wanting more for themselves, recognizing the squeeze that they're under as more unfair. A lot of workers that I talk to, like, they want a good union contract. That was Justine Medina, a worker and shop floor organizer at the Amazon Labor Union at the Amazon Warehouse Facility in New York City. For Labor Radio, I'm Greg Jabosky.
We just got a pledge from Dave, and Dave loves labor radio news and the diversities of, uh, that's offered. He pledged $1 <clears throat> for every year of Frank's life. Well, that's oh, 80. Oh, wow. That's 80. So we have $80 from Dave. Thank you so much, Dave. Um, our pledge, oh, I should mention Mary Lou and Lois are our, our phone answers, and we uh, really do appreciate their work. Uh, here's another statistic $985. That's the average amount that consumers are prepared to spend this holiday season. We would like some of that money. At least $80 worth anyway. That would be a good start. You know, $80 is a good start for us. And I want to say that part of this whole thing here today, you heard directly from people on at the workplace in New York City. You're not going to hear that anyplace else on the radio in this area, hearing people directly from the workplace, speaking to you, our listeners, directly. We have another donation from Norman Stockwell, and he loves all of the programs. He thanks Labor Radio for bringing the voices of working people of the Madison area. Uh, We want to make a special pitch for our our evergreen donors. Now, if you're not an evergreen donor, you can give as little as $5 a month. It really helps us with our budgeting. And uh, a $5 a month pledge translates into $60 worth of something if you want to get a premium, like a mindless minion card or a book Madison's Illustrated History. So there's a lot of good things, and our phone answers can help you with that. Uh, They won't take your bank account now, but they'll take your pledge, and we would love to hear from you. We need the Evergreen donors because they allow the station to plan for the future. So when they have to do the kind of renovations we're talking about here, they know the cash is in the budget. They know they have the cash on hand to hire the contractors and move forward and be able to do what has to be done to maintain the high level of technical and physical security for this building. Thanks thanks to all of you for donating. We still need four more of you to pledge in the next 10 minutes before this program is over. This is just a one-day pledge drive, so this is your, your last chance here to pledge during our birthday boost. And we need that birthday boost because 30 uh, percent, uh, well, actually, one-third of our donors are evergreen donors, and that really helps us. Um, we have two big things that are coming in 2024. Did I mention those earlier? I can't remember. I think so. but uh, Yeah. Well, the, the exterior of the building needs work. If you ever drive by here, the, the uh, mural needs to be repaired. Uh, we need to have some windows that need to be replaced. There's a matching grant from the city to help us. Uh, with the mural, I think. With the mural, yes. Yeah, so we, we really would appreciate your help. Our elevator is broken. Well, we got to repair that. It's it's so old that there there are no. Yeah, they can't bring it all the way up to the top, which kind of defeats the purpose of having an elevator. <laughs> and some people need that elevator. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So, all right, we're going to go back to the program. Well, you're going to go to your phones six zero eight two five six two zero zero one. Support staff at Meritor Hospital will soon enter negotiations for a new contract. Frank Emsbach has a story. The contract between SCIU Healthcare and Meritor Unity Point expires on March 3, 2024. The SCIU represents about 500 support staff at Meritor. Labor Radio spoke with Brenda Frari, Vice President of SCIU Wisconsin, a member of the Meritor bargaining team, and the lead cook with 25-year service as a cook after serving in other positions in the Food and Nutrition Department. To put the magnitude of the food service operation in context, 
The kitchen served 17,000 patient meals in October, plus visits to the cafeteria. Even though the contract expires in March, the union is beginning to mobilize. Brenda Ferrari explains. Currently, what we are doing is doing surveys with the members and membership and signing new people up because we've had such a turnover in employment since COVID. What are the union's chief objectives? The major objectives is to increase our bargaining unit strength by signing up members, getting more people involved, training them, and then focusing on higher wages, health and safety, and the benefits that the employees get there under the service and support contract. Higher wages includes a meaningful cost of living adjustments in the contract. But in addition to wages, staffing is a major concern. The staffing is one of the biggest issues that we have at Meritor Hospital. We used to have about two, approximately 250 nursing assistants in our bargaining unit. We still have that number as a clause, but what has happened, so we're down to less than, I'm not even sure how many nursing assistants we have. Ferrari noted that the staffing crisis means that some of her co-workers are working 12-hour days, five or six days per week, and are burning out. Labor Radio asked Ferrari to comment on her expectation as regards the hospital's view of the contract. I've seen a lot of changes at the hospital. I know what, I understand what the hospital's doing. Um, I'm very much supporting the nurses and their contract campaign got a little nasty with the employer because the employer was trying to take away a lot of stuff and we're expecting the same things. She added, Oh, they've had an attitude already. They, um, they tried to block our union representatives from coming into the hospital. They were really pushing not to allow them into the hospital to help with internal organizing. However, now um, Jay, who is one of our reps, is on the city council. And I think he has some influence there to help that drive that with Meritor. And I'm hoping that our negotiation process will be a lot smoother than what the nurses' negotiation process was. The union has an open process of bargaining where members can observe via Zoom. And according to Ferry, about 100 to 500 support staff participated that way in the last set of negotiations. Brenda concluded her remarks with this observation. That the stronger we have community support, the better off we're going to be. And I think it'll drive Meritor to do the right thing. That was Brenda Frari, a member of the bargaining team for SEIU at Meritor Hospital, speaking of the upcoming contract negotiations. I am Frank Emsbach for Madison Labor Radio. Worker Justice Wisconsin is inviting everyone to its annual Posadas event from 5 to 11 p.m. on Friday, December 8th, in room 201 at the Madison Labor Temple. Las Posadas is a traditional Latin American festival leading up to Christmas that celebrates Joseph and Mary's journey to Bethlehem. Free food, piñatas, and live music with DJ Latin Fresh will be available. Unions will offer information about job opportunities. Posadas is co-sponsored by the Carpenters Union, IBEW Locals 159 and 2304, the Laborers Local 464, OPIU Local 39, the South Central Federation of Labor, El Chisme Food Truck Co-op, Los Gemelos Restaurant, and the Madison Cooperative Development Coalition. That's Friday, December 8th at the Labor Temple.
On the heels of the national contract strikes, the United Auto Workers are looking to keep the gears turning. Labor Radio has a report on the union's newly announced campaign. In the midst of a major contract negotiation, one that gave auto workers at Ford, Stellantis, and General Motors a 25% wage increase, an end to two-tiered compensation systems, and the right to strike over plant closures, non-union auto manufacturers across the country announced their own set of compensation increases. Not shy about establishing a causal relationship between the two events, UAW President Sean Fain wants to enshrine the promises made to non-union workers by their employers in a contract. Fain, who has been pushing for an expanded organizing project in the auto industry since his election and ramped up his rhetoric during the UAW strike earlier in the fall, announced the union's new organizing campaign targeting the remaining 13 non-union auto manufacturers operating in the United States in a video posted to the union's website on Wednesday. To all the auto workers out there working without the benefits of a union, now it's your turn. Since we began our stand-up strike, the response from auto workers at non-union companies has been overwhelming. Workers across the country are reaching out to join our movement and to join the UAW. The money is there, the time is right, and the answer is simple. In addition to statistics about the record profits generated by auto manufacturers and links for employees at targeted manufacturers to sign union cards, the webpage of the campaign is titled with a bold message, Auto Workers, Stand Up, a clear extension of the stand-up strikes employed by the union during their own contract negotiations, and a furtherance of the vision Fain has put forward for revitalizing labor in the auto industry. The non-union factories spread across the South, West, and Midwest are owned by international automakers such as Honda, Mazda, and Toyota, as well as domestic automakers like Tesla and Rivian. According to a report by More Perfect Union, 150,000 autoworkers are employed at these factories, and their organization would mean a doubling of the UAW's coverage within the industry. The rollout of the stand-up campaign is another illustration of the UAW using its position at the nexus of the American labor movement, especially in the wake of this year's strike, to shape the movement's near future. Going on record during the strike, Fain put out a call for other unions to coordinate contract expirations for May 1st, 2028, to align both with the May Day celebration and the Big Three's own contract expirations. UAW made another splash in the labor movement earlier today when members announced in front of the White House that the union was endorsing the call for a ceasefire in the Gaza Strip, making it the largest national union to date to join the Peace Coalition. Reporting for Labor Radio, this is Sean Hagerup. If you are a union member or worker, feel free to be a part of the labor contingent for the All Out for Palestine statewide mobilization. Meet at the labor, uh, meet at the labor temple for Palestine banner at the state capitol at one in the afternoon, a week from tomorrow, Saturday, December 9th. and you can help make banners for the event at a labor contingent banner making session. Feel free to stop by any time between noon and 5 p.m. in the afternoon, tomorrow, Saturday, December 2nd to help with banners at the Labor Temple, 1602 South Park Street. Remember, call 256-2001. We have 25 seconds here tonight. We got to hear from you, 608-256-2001 to support WORT and Madison Labor Radio. Or go to wortfm.org to donate and see all the gifts, thank you gifts that are available to you. Yeah, do that now. You don't have much time. 
Oh, such a free rebel.